You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I wanted to start out this this morning, the service part, of just thanking um, those of you that have served. This is Veterans Day weekend, and, and there's many people here, first hour and second hour, that served and protected our country and, and made it so we can be free to, to worship here this morning. And so if you, were, if you have ever served in, in the military, if you would be willing to stand up, we would just like to thank you. Um, if you have served in any way, please stand right now and and just, uh, we, we thank you guys and ladies. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so it's been a great day, right? A baptism. Uh, it's just been awesome. And uh, it's one of those days that I, it's just been a good morning. And so I'm glad you guys are here. I uh, wanted to share a story about a, a story that, I've, uh, that happened to me about 11 years ago. Um, we're going to dive into chapter 27 of Acts. And, and it's one of those moments where it seems like things can't get any worse. And somehow they do, right? Uh, and so that's going to be the story for Paul, and that was a story on that morning 11 years ago. Abby, our, our oldest, was just about two months old, and uh, we were, Sarah and I were both working at the church, and, and this is the first time that we were going to exchange, that we were going to switch in the morning. Um, she went in early, and I was going to come a little later. I was supposed to be there around 9, and we would uh, just, you know, leave Abby in the car seat in the car, switch drivers, and, and I would take off. And so I had told her the night before, I was like, I got this. And she was telling me all this stuff like, hey, don't, don't forget about this. Don't forget about this. You're going to be late. Put in extra time. I was like, I got this. Don't worry, right? And you can already guess where this is going. It was not as well as I thought. And so I woke up. Sarah had already left. And I have Abby. And it took us forever to get her fed. And it took me forever to get her dressed and, and myself dressed. And I'm already running late. And all the things that she had listed that I needed to have by a certain time, I hadn't done any of it on time, right? And so this is the day is already going late. And we get down to the car. And I put her in the car seat. And Abby fills her diaper. And it's, it's not good, right? It's, there's no way we could drive for 10 minutes with that smell. In, uh, we would pass out, have an accident, right? And so I was like, oh, because I thought, oh, maybe I'll just, you know, Sarah will take care of it when we get to church. But, um, but I didn't. And so I pulled Abby out. And I hold her like this as we go up to uh, go back up the stairs, go to her nursery, and I get ready to change her. And so I'm not going to get into very graphic details about this, but this is one of those moments that if you've ever changed a diaper, imagine the worst possible one that you've ever done, and that was this morning, right? We've had four kids, never has it been like this. And, and so uh, I'm changing her early in the morning. And um, I, to, to cover the smell, I put my, my face inside my shirt, right? That makes sense. Then you can't smell it. And it made a lot of sense, except for uh, I could still smell it through my shirt and my undershirt, through two shirts, right? It was that bad, filling the room, and I could still smell it, so much so that I began to gag. And so if you've been there and you smell something bad and you gag, what happens after? Vomit, right? And so um, this is where this story is headed. And so my face is inside my shirt, and I begin to gag, and instinctly my body just convulses, and breakfast comes out with my shirt, my face still inside my shirt. Okay? So now my shirt is, is bubbling over and is full, is squishy if you touch it, it's full of vomit. And I was like, this, is more, this can't get any worse. And so I lift my head up because, you know, you don't want to be smelling your own vomit inside your shirt. I lift my head up, and the aroma 
aroma of Abby kicks in, and so I smell that again. My body convulses, and I get ready to vomit again. Well, I'm standing over my little child, precious little beautiful baby, right? She's one and a half months. This is the first child, and so I don't want to throw up on her. We've had four children now. Now I know better. Just throw up right there. But first child, I I didn't want to do that. And so my instinct is to turn away, and in doing so, as I begin to throw up from this new smell, I, I jerk my head, and it's like shrapnel just goes all over the wall, on the floor, on her bed, because that's the direction I was headed, on her little crib, so all the sheets, the crib liner, it's covered with vomit. The worst part is all I had that morning for breakfast was leftover chili con queso from Chili's. And so there's little orange shrapnel spots lining her entire, entire side of the room. And there's Abby just giggling. She's the happiest little baby. Smells awful. There's vomit in my shirt, squishy. It's all over. So I change Abby. We go get in the shower. I have to wash off, change all my clothes, get those in the dirty clothes, go take, you know, get the cleaner, clean the wall, clean the floor, carpet cleaner, take apart her crib, all the bed liners, put that in the dirty clothes, get the laundry going. I show up to church an hour and 45 minutes late, <laughs> all right? After Sarah's like, you're going to miss it. You're not going to be on time. I was like, I got this. And I told her I was so convinced. And it seemed like the day just kept getting worse. Sarah had been waiting for me. All the staff was wondering, well, why is Sarah just standing around? And, and uh, so they asked her, what's going on? And so she's proceeded to tell every person on staff what I shared with her. I said, hey, threw up inside my shirt, sent her a text, uh, threw up all over the Abby's ha- room uh, text, you know, needing to shower. So now everyone on staff knows that I've thrown up all over the place, and, and they're all giving me a hard time. And throughout the day, it was one of those days that we were already running late. And I take her up, and it's like, it can't get any worse And it does. I don't know if you guys have had those days. That's a fun story of one of those days. Maybe you guys have funny ones like that. And maybe you have more serious ones. Times where it seems like you've hit rock bottom, it can't get worse, and somehow it does. Times when you think life seems so hard, it can't get any worse, and and it does. That's where we find Paul. If you've been following along in the past couple weeks tracking with us, Paul's been in prison for two years. There's a group of men that want to kill him. They've made a vow that they will have a hit on him, and he will die. He's been in prison for two years, and he finally appeals to Caesar. And so he's going up the chain and command, which means he's still in captivity, and now he needs to get to Rome. They take him on a journey to be able to get the, take him and the other prisoners to Rome, and we're going to see here comes a shipwreck. Those times where it seems like it can't get any worse, that's going to be Paul's story today. This story, this whole chapter 27, is just about this journey, just about the shipwreck. And a lot of people wonder, why did Luke designate so much time? And we're going to dive into that in a little while. But we have this amazing story of the shipwreck, of a time when it just seems to be getting worse, of maybe a time that you guys can relate to. Maybe you're in that moment now. Maybe you've been in that moment, you're coming out of that season, or I'm sorry to say, maybe you're getting ready to head into a season like that. But I hope that we can walk away from this chapter and see that God is present throughout this chapter. So if you have your Bibles, open it to Acts 27 and get ready to dive into this to be able to see the story of Paul's shipwreck. Begins, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium, 
uh, about to sail for ports along the coast of Providence of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. I don't know if you picked up on that. It says, with us, that we. Luke, the writer of Acts and the writer of the Gospel of Luke, is with Paul. Luke is a, has been a companion, a missionary, along with Paul throughout. He's come and gone throughout the book of Acts, and now he's back with Paul. I don't know why Paul was able to bring his friends along on this trip. Perhaps it's because Luke was a physician, and, and the Roman government was allowing him to bring his own personal physician. Maybe it was because he was allowing to bring his friend. Either way... Luke comes alongside him. And I think that's significant. I love that part in here because as for many of you, you have friends that are going through a storm. And if nothing else that we could take away from this morning, Luke was there with him on the boat. I hope that we can be a Luke for somebody. That your friend might be going through a hard time. That a coworker might be struggling. That a family member's life might be falling apart. That we could be a Luke that comes alongside and doesn't save them but goes through it with them so that we could go through this journey with them. And so we have Luke as that good friend. And Luke is there, and Paul, and it says the other prisoners. And the Greek here term for other prisoners is more or less demoting the prisoners, kind of implying that these are guys that are probably headed to be killed or headed to Rome for worse reasons. These are normal prisoners that have done really bad crimes, and then you have Paul who no one has found anything wrong with what he's done. And he's on this journey with these guys. Verse 3 says, The next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the, to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia, and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. The Romans aren't good sailors, and up to this point, they've just been on these little Roman ship and is hitting all these ports along the way, and they're losing time. And so they get to this port, and there's an Alexandrian, an Egyptian grain ship that's headed to Rome. And so the, the, the centurion, Julius, comes up with this plan. He says, can I bring my prisoners and my Roman soldiers on board your ship? This would provide protection for the Egyptian ship. Pirates would be less likely to attack if there's a Roman presence on board, as well as they would be able to get on this journey. It's a large ship we see later that holds 276 people plus all the cargo, the grains, and so forth. And so it's a large ship headed for the direction they go. they're going. Verse 7 says, We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off of Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salamine. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of La Sea. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. When they headed out, there was a great chance that they'd be able to make the journey, but by now, Day of Atonement has already come. Day of Atonement comes in September, October, and everyone in that area knows that by October, November, you have to stop sailing. It's not safe. The winds, the storms will wreak havoc on the ships and destroy them. But they're on a journey, Right? Julius is on a mission. He wants to get these prisoners there. He wants to get them as far, at least as far as he can before they have to stop. But Paul warns them. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous 
and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. Paul gave his advice, probably advice that he had received from the Holy Spirit, from God guiding him and said, let's not go on this journey, stop here. But Julius, a wise man, instead takes the advice of the ship owner and of the pilot, right? People that you would probably consider more wise than a prisoner. And so they decide to go on. And, and it says that even when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, and they weighed anchor and sailed alongside the shore of Crete. There's even a gentle wind that says, it's time to go. But then, out of nowhere, the storm comes. This might describe your life. That out of nowhere, the storm came. That things seemed to be going along, and, and even maybe there was times that there was questionable, but I think we can make it. And then the storm comes swooping in. And wrecks havoc on everything. It says, before long, a wind of hurricane force called a north, northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not heed into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. There's a little dinghy, a little lifeboat that's trailing behind that's tied to. And this lifeboat is getting thrown about. And the, the waves are so big that this lifeboat is going to go under. And so they have to pull it up. And that's key. We're going to see that's important later on in our story. Then they passed ropes underneath the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbar of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchors and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. When I read this, I'm not a sailor. I've not been on many boats in my life and certainly haven't been on one in a storm. So this story doesn't come to life to me until I was reading more about it. Until I was reading that the ship, there's so much creaking and the boards are breaking that, they're, that they take ropes and they try just to tie the, rope, the boat together. Imagine that, that you're so worried that you're going to die. You're on the open sea and you hear the cracking of the wood of your ship that you send ropes around just to try to hold it all together. That is, that they're getting tossed around so much that this cargo ship from Alexandria, the whole reason that it's going is to get the grain to run. They throw the grain overboard for multiple days. And it says that they haven't been able to see the sun or the moon, the stars, for days. To me, it just meant that it's been dark, it's been stormy. But to a sailor, it meant that there's no navigation. They've had nothing to navigate against. They don't know, have a clue where they are. And so for days, for two weeks, we'll find out they've been lost at sea with no hopes of being found because no one would be able to find them. They've been adrift for two weeks. They're destined to die. Everyone on the ship, almost 300 people, are terrified, believing that death is coming, believing that the storm is going to do them in. Then Paul gathers the people and you can just imagine that there's maybe a calmness, a, a calm moment in the, in the storm. And they all gather down below and Paul speaks up. And he gets them all to be silent. And what does Paul do? 
I told you so. Right? We're about to see. This is, a, this is Paul. He says, I told you so. And for a guy that his entire life people have said, I told you so, this one hits home, right? My entire life people are like, I told you that was flammable. You know, I, I told you you, sh- you shouldn't eat nachos for breakfast. I told you so of all these things. That's been my whole life. My, my parents, my siblings, my friends, my coworkers, my wife, everyone. I told you so. You should have known better than that, right? And so I see this story and I think, man, Paul, why are you pulling it out? Why are you pulling that out? I told you so. But we're going to see. Paul shares with them, I told you this was going to be a problem. I told you there were storms. And he does that so that way they know that Paul has been speaking from a different source. That I told you the storm was coming, and, and I believe that the Holy Spirit had shared that with him. I believe that God had spoken that to him. And so he says, I told you this, and you missed it, but keep listening. I got another message from my God. I have a message that you want to hear. And so he says, I told you so, so that way they, they know that Paul was right the first time, that God was right the first time, and God will be right the second time. And so Paul shares with them, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. Everyone's like, yeah, thanks, Paul. All right. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Shares this encouragement. And I love this. Many times God has given this message to Paul. Paul, you're going to be okay. But this time he gives this message to Paul and the others on the ship. You're all going to make it. If you stick together... You're all going to make it. I've got to believe that over the past two weeks in the midst of this storm, Paul's been sharing about Jesus. All throughout the book of Luke, all throughout the book of Acts, Luke has given us a little glimpse of speeches from Paul, a little glimpse of speeches from James or of Peter, not giving us the whole thing, and I don't think that this is different, that all throughout this time, Paul has been telling him about Jesus Christ, about the Messiah. Paul has been telling him about the Old Testament prophets and, and the predictions from the past and how Jesus fulfilled this, telling him about his death and how he rose again, telling him about the time that he met him on the Damascus Road, getting them excited, telling them about Jesus Christ. And then he says that this God that I've been telling you about for two weeks, he told me last night, we're going to make it. Hang in there. We're going to make it. And so the story continues. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adaric Sea when when about midnight the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, the soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down in the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. The sailors are about to bail. The sailors, the ones that know how to run this giant ship, are about to flee. Because they know death is coming. They know how dangerous it is where they're at. 
And so the sailors go and they pretend that they're lowering down the anchor and that, that little dinghy, the lifeboat that they brought up earlier, two weeks ago, they finally see their chance. And they're lowering the lifeboat, getting ready to flee. To leave the Julius, to leave Paul, to leave Luke, to leave the prisoners, to leave the others on this cargo ship, all to die. And Paul sees this and he warns Julius and he says, hey, if they go, we're dead. We need them to, to run the ship. I don't know how to run a ship. You don't know how to run a ship, Julius. We need them. And so what does Julius do? He's faced with a decision. Let go of the only chance of survival, according to man's hands, or put his faith in what God has said, that they would make it. And Julius places an order. Verse 32 says, So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat, and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke in and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some of the food themselves. Altogether, there was 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Paul gathers them, and he's like, we're going to make it. Put your trust not in me, not in the end of the storm. Put your, your trust in God. As I said, Paul's been preaching at them for two weeks, a captive audience in the midst of the storm. And I'm sure Paul has told them about the Last Supper and so Paul shares this encouraging moment, and then he takes the bread and he breaks it and blesses them, reminding them of Jesus breaking the bread and pouring out the wine. His body and his blood poured out for us. And he says, we're going to make it. And they all eat, and they have so much faith in not Paul and not the end of the storm, but in God that they throw the leftovers overboard. It says, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresails to the wind and made, it, made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The, ba the bows struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. So at this point, this giant ship is just splintering and falling apart. The ropes can't contain it and is coming apart. The, the worse just keeps getting worse. Right? They've been, he's been in prison for two years. Now he's been at loss at sea in a storm for two weeks, and now the ship is falling apart. And now, what comes natural? The soldiers decide to kill all the prisoners. If the prisoners somehow escape, the soldiers are going to be held liable. And so the natural instinct is, well, right now we're going to save ourselves, but let's kill all the prisoners here on the boat. The soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion, Julius, wanted to spare Paul's life and keep them from carrying out the plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In any way, in this way, everyone reached the land safely. Everyone reached the land. Paul's message from God came true. They all made it. By not letting the, the sailors escape on the lifeboat, they all made it. By trusting in God, 
Paul's God, they all made it. And so throughout this time, Julius has been hearing about Paul's God. As we come to the end of this narrative, it makes you wonder, why did Luke attribute so much to this one story, right? Like, there's been, been many narrative stories throughout the book of Acts, but there's never been one this long just about a journey. An entire chapter is just dedicated to this two weeks at, at, at storm and to the shipwreck. And you wonder, why would Luke designate this much time? And, and a lot of commentators had some ideas. Some said that it was to kind of allude to Paul, very similar to the Old Testament prophets, to connect the apostles to the prophets that they had got, gone through great journeys and, and through great trials, and to be able to see that the prophets pointed to the Messiah to come, the apostles pointed back from the Messiah that came, and that the whole, there's Jesus is the central theme to the whole Bible. Perhaps that's it. Perhaps Luke is just telling, let me tell you about this shipwreck, right? Luke is on this ship, and if I had been on that ship, I'd be telling you guys, let me tell you. And I'd probably be making up some extra stuff. A shark came up on board, and it was nuts, right? And so we, uh, Luke is just telling this story because he was there. But I think more because God wanted to make sure we heard the story of Julius. That's right, there's this character that's run throughout. We often think that Paul is the main character of the story, and, and he is. But right there with Paul all along is Julius, the centurion. Bill Highfield had shared this with me, and he had emailed me about the, the change in Julius throughout this, this chapter, and, and it really hit home. That at the beginning, verse 9 and 10, you see Julius hears God's message, including its warning. I have no doubt that Paul had shared, not only should we not go on this trip, but let me tell you why. Let me tell you about my God that told me we shouldn't. And Julius decided against it. He followed man's wisdom versus God's. Man's wisdom, he talked to the ship's captain and the owner, and they said, no, you're good. Set sail. We're going to be all right. Even though God said, don't do this. You're going you're gonna to risk your life. Julius decided to take the words of man instead of the words of God. And so instead of placing his faith in God, Julius placed his faith in man. And we see how that turned out. A storm comes. And he's lost in the midst of this dark storm. And, and by God's grace and mercy, I love that God comes and delivers a message again to Julius. And God doesn't give up on us. Even if we're in the midst of a storm that we created. Perhaps you're in the midst of a storm that your life has fallen apart and and you know it's, it's all your fault. And you think, why would God even come to me now? After I've got, led such a bad life, after I've made so many mistakes, God still comes to Julius in the midst of a storm that he shouldn't have been in in the first place. God's grace and mercy and love, he comes to Julius and gives another chance. Verse 27 through 29, even though God in his mercy and grace was promised deliverance, Julius still had to live through the storm, Right? But then Paul comes and shares the message of encouragement. A message that we're going to make it. That at the end of this storm, you're going to be okay. And so Julius now has this decision. They're faced, they're, they have this lifeboat, the sailors are putting it down. And Julius could have easily said, I'm going with you guys. I'm bailing on the ship as well. I'm the one in command. I can leave everybody and I can go and save myself. And he has to make a decision. Does he, again, take the wisdom of the world, these sailors that 
have seen storms and know they're about to die. Our only chance is on this little lifeboat. Or trust the message of Paul and Paul's God. Trust the message of this Jesus Christ that Paul's been talking about for two weeks. And so Julius gives the order to cut the ropes. He'll let go of the lifeboat. I wish we could have a little bow at the end of this. It says when they got to the ocean, to the beach, Julius gave his life over to Christ and, and Paul baptized him there in the water. And we don't see that. We don't know how it ends. But, but if I was read between the lines as you see this change in Julius, I got to think that might have been coming. I got to think that there might have been a decision to accept Jesus as his Savior. That when he saw that we did make it, that 276 of us are alive, Paul's God was right. He protected us. His message is true. That not only Julius, but I think others would have given their life to Jesus Christ in that moment. And so you have this boat that was headed for a 40-mile journey and ends up taking two weeks lost at sea. Shipwrecked. And a lot of passengers now stuck on a desert island. That might reflect a little bit of your life. What you thought was going to be simple has become kind of out of control. What you thought was just a dinner ended up being bad news. What you thought was another day at work ended up receiving a termination slip. Whatever that might be, the storm that you're in, whether it's a storm that you created that you shouldn't be in like Julius or a storm that just comes upon you, Paul had nothing to do with the storm. He even warned people, and yet he's still stuck in the storm. We all find ourselves at some point lost in a storm. And in the midst of that storm is where Julius met Jesus. So I wonder, in the midst of our storms, are you turning to Jesus? Are you drawing closer to him? Or are you turning away and trying to save yourselves? Those sailors, they didn't trust. They were lowering the lifeboat and trying to save themselves. But Julius knew better. And he turned to Paul's God. And I, wanna, I want you to think, imagine that you've read this story, and now you can go back in time and you're on that ship. You know how this ends. You know that at some point you're going to be swimming and you're going to get to the beach. It doesn't make that two weeks any less miserable, right? That storm, you're still going to be cold and wet. You're still going to get nauseous and seasick and throwing up overboard. You're still going to be in a bad place. But you're not going to be fearful of the end. Because you know how it ends. So I want to give a message of encouragement. That if you're in that storm, it's hard and painful and messy and scary. But in the end, as you've accepted Jesus Christ, we have heaven. We have hope. We have salvation. And I pray that each one of you have accepted Jesus Christ and and that you have that hope at the end of a storm. And if you haven't yet, come see one of us. Come talk in the prayer room. We'd love to pray with you. And I hope that someday we'll be in heaven with Luke and Paul. And maybe with Julius. Who came and found Jesus in the midst of the storm. I want to encourage you this morning. We have an ex- we're going to have an extended time of worship this morning. And just a time that if you're in the midst of a storm and you just need prayer... Come pray with us in the back. Come spend time with us and let us pray for you. That maybe it's someone that you know is going through the storm and and you're their Luke. And you're going to get in the boat and go.
go through this journey with them and you just need wisdom, you need encouragement, let us encourage you as you are loving on that person. And maybe if you've not accepted Jesus for the first time, let this storm be what brings you to him. If you'll pray with me. God, we just come to you right now and I pray that people in this room that are in a storm will meet you. God, believers that are in a storm will see that you're there. Those that are not yet believers will come to find you and discover you in the storm. God, I pray for people that are not in a storm right now, but know those that are. Not a family member that's going through a hard time, a, a fellow student whose life seems to be falling apart, a coworker who everything just seems to be getting worse. Let us be Luke for those people. Give us wisdom and words on how to reach out. Help us be able to care for them and love on them. God, let this chapter, this narrative of a shipwreck and a storm inspire us to know that you are there in the midst of our darkest time, in the midst of the time that we feel lost and, and at our end. Let us know that you are with us. You are over us.